Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Just Want a Quilt, a research podcast coming out of Tulane University Law School, where we explore all kinds of things, stories about quilting, tools, field trips, maybe some famous culture stop by, and of course, a little bit of copyright thrown in just for fun. This is Elizabeth Townsend Gard, your host, and I'm a law professor at Tulane University Law School and a faculty fellow at the A.B. Friedman School of Business at Tulane. And I just want a quilt. So today we talk to Deborah Fisher of Fish Museum and Circus. She makes those insanely cool ceramic animals that are pincushions that sell out in like seconds. She was at QuiltCon. She can see them online. Um... And she talks to us about her uh, her adventure. And um, what's your first memory of someone sewing? Or oh, we're gonna go for about a half hour. That's the other question. So uh, we'll, we'll go for about a half hour. Um, what's your first memory of someone sewing or quilting in your life? My mother was always sewing. Um, she had a at that time, it was called portable sewing machine, but um, of course, it weighed a ton. Um, and I'm a child of the 70s, so mm-hmm. uh, back in 1976, there was a kind of a big resurgence with the bicentennial. And, right, hugely, right? That was a huge moment. And I remember her sewing um, some costumes, and she did some quilting also. Um, and I kind of, I, I grew up with that. We had a room that had all kinds of stuff where you could make things. And, um, it was, it was good place to grow up for somebody who liked to make things. Let's make things. And when did you start making things? You make a lot of, I mean, you, we have a couple of things to talk about with you. We have your, um, I love it. Your fish museum and circus and all the cool things you do there. And then, um, is it bright hopes, uh, collective? And the Bright Hopes Collaborative Quilt Project. Right. Yeah. Um, so tell me, how did have you always made things? Were you a kid that just loved to make stuff? Or sort of, what was your journey um, to be where you are now? I always loved to make stuff. Uh, it, it took me a long time to kind of figure out um, what that really meant and how to make that work for me. Um, I was always making things using a variety of materials. I really liked materials materials um but um and I did a lot of sewing when I was younger I did a lot of doll making I didn't really make clothes I didn't make quilts just a lot of kind of odd odd things um more less about a a specific technique and more just about the making of things um and I went to um undergraduate and I got a BFA Mm -hmm. uh, in the fiber department um but much much more um, uh, kind of fine art related, really. Um, And then um, I was doing that for a while and I went to graduate school and I got an MFA. Um, And why did you, where did you go to grad school? um, I went to grad school at Cranbrook Academy of Art. And what made you decide to go to grad school? I was working for a while, um, I um, think about, I think it was maybe six or seven years between undergraduate and graduate. Interesting. Um, I was doing my own work and I was, the only way that I was really making any money at it, or I wasn't making any money at it really, I was um, you know, working a lot of low paying part-time jobs. Yeah. Um, and I felt like I didn't have the confidence um, that I needed to go further in my work. And, and how was the BFA different? How was the MFA different than the BFA? 
in terms of, I mean, I've done a lot of graduate work, so I'm curious, sort of, did you find, was it just more intense? Was it more focused? Like, what what did you gain from the, the MFA that you didn't get from the BFA? The BFA, there was so many more um, classes and just trying to find your way and what you were interested in, whereas mm-hmm. I feel like with the MFA, especially since I waited in between mm-hmm. for the years where I was really developing my style and what I like to make um, and what my voice was. And, yeah. Um, so you think like the BFA is much more of a broad spectrum of like drawing, photography, kind of general kind of classes, but you could really hone in on your who you were at in the MFA level. Is that what you're? I think so. I mean, by the time I got to the end of my BFA, yeah, I, I did have a direction to go in. Um, but then the MFA really gave me the opportunity to, um, to focus on that. But also it, it was really a confidence builder for me um, in that, like before my MFA, I would say, well, I can't apply for that exhibition or I can't apply for that because I'm not good enough or I'm not whatever. After I got my MFA, I said, well, I have my MFA. (laughs) That's right. I am, I'm a professional. I'm officially right. So I, I, I think, I think letters make a difference. I mean, I'm somebody who's got a lot of letters, um, a lot of um, degrees, but um, it does give you confidence. I think it gives you confidence to on uh, a lot of different levels. Um, uh, the rigor of the program makes you feel like you can handle other things, right? At least I felt that way. Um, that that's part of it is the kind of what you go through to get the MFA or the whatever the degree is. Um, there's learning, but there's also confidence building. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right, so we got you through the MFA. Then what happened after the MFA? So um, it gave me the confidence to apply to a, um, a residency program um, called the Arts Industry Program mm-hmm. at the John Michael Kohler Arts Center, where um, uh, you have a residency in the Kohler Plumbing Factory. And it's a really interesting and wonderful opportunity and they have residents in the pottery and in the foundry working right in a studio right next to where the um the faculty the the uh factory workers excuse me are um are working and and i got this residency um and how that kind of that really directed a lot of the things that I'm doing now, not really specifically for the work that I did, but because I was there for three months um, and I brought with me a quilt that uh, my husband's aunt had made us for our wedding. Um, And when I put it on the bed, I felt like it made it feel like home. Totally. We do that all the time when we try. I, I read that about somewhere. I read that about your that quilt, and I thought, you know, when we travel, we always travel with a quilt, and we travel on the train or in a hotel, and that's like the first thing we do when we get to a hotel room is put our own quilt on that bed um, to feel like it's home, which is really, I, I really <laughs> identified with that when when I read that about you. Yeah, I mean, and I had never done that in a hotel or anything. Like, yeah. it never really crossed my mind. But of course, I was going to be there for three months, and I had things to bring. Right. Um, and so it made it, it made it feel like home, and um, that's kind of where the Bright Hopes Collaborative Quilt Project came out of, um, and kind of led me where I am. So tell us a little bit about that that project. So after I had this residency, I started thinking about what kind of the bigger picture. I mean, I was finished with graduate school. I had this residency. What is it that I wanted to kind of get out of the rest of, um, you know, what further on down, down the road. And um, I was thinking a lot about that quilt. And I thought that if it could make me feel like that place where I was felt like home, what could it do for people who didn't have any home really they were traveling from place to place in that they were in homeless shelters or they were uh, foster children um, people who were 
basically given a bed, but um, really didn't have a permanent place. Could a quilt make them feel like that was their home for however long that they were there and then um, they would take that with them. And so that's really how Bright Hope started and that's really always been our, our mission. There are you know, so many wonderful quilt groups who do amazing work. Um, they do. You know, for people who are who are ill, who are all kinds of things. You know, all kinds of all kinds of um, yeah. things. But this has always kind of been our mission because this is how it started. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, then I then I came back and I said to my mother, who I had seen making um, quilts and sewing um, growing up, I said, "Well, do you want to make some quilts we could give away?" And she said, "Sure." And then um, all these years later, and that was back in. 2003 awesome yeah so all these years later we have three different programs yeah um it's it's been a really wonderful so tell us a little bit about the programs and then I'm curious about a couple other parts of it so you've got the quilt giving is it quilt giving quilt community and quilt work so those are three aspects of the program yep those are our programs we started off with quilt giving it wasn't called that then it was um just the basic, we would make the quilts. And at that time, especially, and it's still, you know, somewhat true now, but, um, you know, I wanted to, as, you know, as, as artists do, that you want to have kind of control over the, um, the aesthetics and all of that. And um, it worked out in that a lot of the people that joined us really didn't have a lot of quilting experience. Maybe they knew how to sew. Maybe they didn't even know how to sew. But... Um, I would design all the quilts and do little graph paper drawings. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, then I would cut all the pieces. And so it was almost like a kit. It was like a one of a kind kit. Right. And that, because at that time, that was a a major part of my creative outlet. And so I wanted to have kind of control over these quilts and what they looked like and how, where, um, because they were kind of going out into the world in, in my name in, in yeah. that way, because I, I was, my name was attached to Bright Hopes. Um, and um, so I was doing all the quilt design and we had um, people who were just sewing tops and they really ended up liking that because it was a low, um, it was just fun. You it's know, like puzzles, just- right? We've been talking about this. Sometimes Quilting is just like making, like putting a puzzle together. Sometimes it's the creative process and depends on what you want to be doing. So you were just giving them the puzzle pieces. They got to sew it and then give it back to you. Is that right? And they were, um, uh, in, in my mind, I felt kind of bad because I felt like I was, in, you know, trying to be in control of everything. Yeah. But, you know, once we started talking about it, I said, well, do you let, they ended up that they really did like that system mm-hmm. because, with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Enable them to be able to make the things and work with the group um, uh, in, 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 a, in a, a fun, um, low pressure situation, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, totally. Do you still do that? Um, we were talking about that you were making kits for them. Do you still do that? Do you still have kits that you give out? I do do that um, in some in in a, in some ways the same way, but in also in a slightly different capacity. We found that we had lots and lots of scraps. Mm-hmm. A lot most quilters do. They you know we don't want to just throw things out, and so we end up with like bags of scraps that kind of just grow and you know multiply, and then you end up with all these scraps and you don't know what to do. So we started getting together and making um, kind of scrap blocks. And so I would give them kind of, you know, some guidelines, like, you know, we're going to do like some kind of crazy log cabin and start with something that's this color in the middle and then work your way out. Um, and so then we would make all these blocks and then I would put them together into a kit that then would go out. Um, 
So I have, um, I've eased up on my, on my sense of control of everything because it, um, I have a lot of creative outlets right now and um, it was just becoming too, too much. much. Yeah. <laughs> so do you do them in a specific color? Do you have images of them? I didn't, couldn't find images of the quilts. I was, um, I, I do. I mean, I don't know what's on the website right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, wait. But... Maybe portfolio. Hey, I found it. I'm such a dork. Those look so cool. They're the scrappy, scrappy ones. Um, I will look. Uh, very cute. Wow. They're very, very... That's a lot of work. Um, it's... Just looking. It's, it's very cool. And then is the back flannel. Is that what you, you do? Um, there's a portfolio. <laughs> what? It's there at the, it the top, right? See, <laughs> I'm showing you how to do it. I'm just totally yeah. a dork, but I found it at the top. It said portfolio, right? Okay, there it goes. Um, yeah, and you know, and some of these quilts that I'm looking at here on the portfolio are, are pretty, you know, old. I haven't put a lot of new ones up, but yeah, some of these are. There's um, a lot. These are very intricate. They're not just like you're not just. They're very pretty, and they're very, wow, they're really cool. I try to create this kind of balance between um, making quilts that are not going to take forever, right? So if if you're going to make a quilt for, you know, somebody's wedding or somebody's, um, you know, something like a special event in your family, you know, you're, you are more likely, let's say, to want to spend lots of time on it. Right. Um, but I also don't want this to be like, you know, throw together a bunch of squares and be done with it. Like there there needs to be a balance between the balance. Like right. Because you want and, that love, that time and and care in there yes. as well. And that's the thing is that the, the people that these are going to – get a lot of leftovers, a lot of cast-offs. I, yeah. I, I want these to be um, just bright and and beautiful just for what they they are. They might not be show quilts or, or no, any but of that. There's a, care, there's a love and a care to them that is evident, that it's, it's really cool. Now, where does the fabric come from? How do you – where do your supplies come from? So um, – and that's the other part of that, making sure that these people get something that is um, is not kind of a cast off. And it doesn't mean that we don't use donated fabric, um, but I try to be really careful about it. We do get a lot of donations from people who um, are cleaning out, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we had that happen. We, we had a thing where we did that. And you get a lot of, like, some great stuff, some weird stuff. It's kind of, it, I mean, it really is random. Uh, yeah, so you get a lot of things maybe that aren't all cotton. You know, you get a lot of polyester, really old, um, kind of outdated type yeah. of things. And also things maybe that smell like mothballs or things right. that. Yeah. And, of course, nobody wants to throw anything out. They want to know that it's going to be used. But, right. um, you know, I kind of pick and choose the things yeah. that I, I think. Yeah, do you, um, how are you guys funded? Do you, I mean, are you purchasing fabric? Are you, like, how is, how is this whole thing happening? So we have um, three main fundraisers a year. Okay. We have, and, and these are not, you know, high-tech fancy fundraisers. One of them is a yard sale. Right. Um, so we have this big yard sale and, the first weekend in May and, you know, depending on the weather, we, you know, hopefully do pretty well. Um, near us, there is a yearly outdoor art show um, at a at a local gallery mm-hmm. and they have um, been generous enough to have us there. It's very um, cool. A booth. And so we have, we do what we raffle. It's the only quilts per year that we don't actually. Um, so you do, do a raffle. raffle. And how much are you, I mean, like, these are events, but they don't seem like they're going to, I mean, they're not going to bring in, like, $100,000 kind of thing. Like, do you have funding from other spaces, or do you, like, how does this all happen? Because you also, we haven't talked about the other part. You have quilt community and quilt work, so we'll talk about that as well. But there's a lot 
you're doing a lot. So it seems like you're fairly... So, you know, we also have an annual appeal. I would say, and I don't have the number, I'm not the financial person, I don't have the numbers, but I would say our our annual budget, um, you know, is like $12,000, give or take. Yeah, that Um, seems about... And interesting. So people are volunteering, I would imagine. You're not paying people to work on... It can't be going to salary, right? No. So people are volunteers and we have about 20, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a, it shifts, shifts around that number, you know, yeah. and what's happening in people's lives. And, mm-hmm. um, um, I get a stipend, mm-hmm. the board voted, uh, I don't know That's how many nice. years that I should get a stipend since I'm the one who's running. Well, you just, your whole world is this a lot, right? That's nice. That's very nice. It's very nice. Um, because before that, I mean, all of this was, um, volunteer on my part. It was also cost money because um, making money, you know, in in these fundraisers, I was paying for fabric. My mother who started this with was paying for fabric. Um, And so it's nice. We've kind of, over the years, we've gotten into a system where, you know, I get a little stipend check every month to make sure that all the programs are running. And um, we have we used to buy more fabric. Um, we have gotten certain donations from fabric companies. I now, if I go to, uh, you know, Quilt Market or Quilt Con, right. wherever I am, you know, and I'm meeting, you know, over the years I've met people and um, they are generous enough to They're generous. Yeah, they're generous. Um, you know, barely in the stores, a box of fabric will show up at the door. It's it's very nice. So right now we have a pretty good stash of fabric. Mm-hmm. Um, we buy the backings because you need a, a bigger piece. So we buy that and we buy the the batting. Um, but other than that, our costs are pre- pretty low. And how many quilts do you think you're making in the quilt giving? We haven't gotten to the other two, but how many quilts do you think you're making a year now with this program? Um, Hard to say. I'm not a good record keeper, so um, I, I, we have photographs of every quilt. But it's very cool. Um, I would say maybe thirty a year. Thirty a year. That's cool. And then, it's, it's I mean, compared to other groups, it's not it's not a ton. But no, it's, but it's it's care. It's right. It's I mean, like I mean, there's always the whole quality versus quantity thing, right? So I mean, I think you just. You do whatever you want to do. Now, where do the quilts go on quilt giving? How do you decide where they go? We've worked with different agencies over the years. It's um, it's hard to deal kind of we, – we don't actually get to see many of the people that we donate to because they go through different agencies. Mm-hmm. So right now we work mainly with an organization called Birthday Wishes, which um, does birthday parties for children who are in shelters. And it's really, we've developed a really nice relationship with them. Cool. Um, And we will give them quilts and they will, they will become birthday gifts for the kids in these shelters. Um, We have done other um, type of things we will hear about a foster child in the schools and there will be a request. And so then that quilt will That's go. really cool. Person. I love it. Um, there's, oh, it's over the years, it's just been a lot of yeah. kind of situations. I love it. All right. So tell us a little bit about quilt community because we talked about quilt giving. That's that first part. Tell us about quilt community. So we started being asked to do um, programs with groups who wanted to help us. So they might be scout troops or they might be religious groups or um, you know, local events that were happening. And so we started Quilt Community and we will bring our sewing machines and do programs where they will help us to make the quilts that then we can give through quilt giving. That's so, really cool. There might be, um, well, like next week, we actually have a Girl Scout program where we'll bring in the sewing machines, we'll bring in fabric that's cut and 
That's really great. That's so great. And some of them, I imagine it's their first time sewing, that they're just that, and that's so, so cool that you're reaching them. Yeah, and we've done all ages, which is great. I mean, we've been to preschool and sewed with them, and they've helped us make a quilt. That's um, great. Then we'll do like a community maker fair where we just have the sewing machines there, and then all day long, you know, we might have 75 hundred different people from all ages who That's will really come. Great. Now when you and, do these, are they do they have to pay for you to come or you just show up or sort of what's that side of it? When we do groups with like scout troops or schools or things like that, we do have um, an an activity fee. Um, which is usually part of their program. And yeah. so it just helps us to keep our budget. Right, and that's like one more stream of revenue that also makes sense and it's not burdening them because they're going to have activity fees anyway. So yeah. it all makes sense in that way. And it helps, like we do a lot of, um, I think it's fifth grade Girl Scouts because they're working on a bronze award, right? There's a certain, um, and so this helps them achieve that because this is a, a community service program. Right? Yeah, love it. I love it. That's very cool. Okay, so tell me, and you go to them, right? You do, do you have a space that you, do you always go out to other people's spaces? Is that sort of the way the project works? We do. We don't have a permanent space. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, we'll have meetings at uh, different people's houses. Yeah. When we do, if we get together to sew and do those scrap blocks. Yeah. You know, somebody's house. Love yeah. it. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so tell me the third one is Quilt Works. And I think this one's really interesting. Yeah, so I started thinking that, you know, if if giving somebody a quilt could make their space feel like home, what if they could make their own quilt and That's to keep? Really cool. And how would that impact them? Yeah. So about 10 years ago, we started kind of throwing this around, this, this idea. And I made up this whole program um which was actually a little hard harder to get off the ground than i thought it would be um you know a lot of these locations that we were looking into had um you know different um policies and but anyway um there was just a lot of logistics to bringing sewing machines into spaces like shelters group homes temporary housing that made it more logistically difficult. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And also, you know, we needed a place where people were going to be there for more than just a few nights. Yeah, right. We needed needed certain um, kind of requirements to make it logistically possible. Because does it take them time to make the quilt? It's It's done over a series of sessions? It's done over a series of sessions. So we ended up... um, that we spoke to the people at a place called Little Flower Children's Residence um, that's here on Long Island. They have a lot of different programs uh, in their in, in their whole organization of Little Flower. This is a, uh, a it's a children's residence um, where they have about 80 to 90 ish kids from age 8 to 18 at any given time they have their own school and there's a wide variety of reasons that the kids are there and they were really happy to have us and we have been there for the last nine and a half years. Oh, that's really cool. 
That's so and, great. You know, we've developed the program and changed the program um, learning as we learn more about the population of these kids um, and what they need. And we now do two sessions a year. We do a fall session and a spring session. We have only about four or five kids each time because we have learned that one-on-one is really best for them or even more of us than there are of them is really works best for everybody involved um because they want the time because like why why that ratio um they need the attention yeah then it's part of the love it's part of the process is that what you're saying i am not a i have no background in teaching in special ed in any kind of um you know any kind of situation where um that might help me with these kids i should say because i'm a a maker Um, i'm lucky enough to have volunteers who are retired special ed teachers or physical therapists or occupational therapists who um have more insight into these kids and it's such a variety of kids they might be at this residence because they were truant at school um and they just didn't show up, so they needed this place to send them. You yeah. know, court appointed. It could be because things weren't safe at home. It could be because there, there are so many different reasons. And a lot of these kids, in my unprofessional um, observing of them, let's say, um, have a fair amount of maybe learning disabilities. Interesting. Not all of them. Some yeah. of them. I don't really, I don't know, Um, but we have learned over the years that this particular population really just does better with one-on-one. Everybody is just, they focus more. Yeah. A lot of them have trouble with um, staying focused um, and it's just a nicer situation. (laughs) <laughs> I get that. I mean, it's funny because we had a um, we baby uh, babysat a six year old for about forty eight hours when her mom was having a baby recently, and we started sewing and we set we did. She had never sewed before, and we went from seven a.m. to four p.m. Like she just kept wanting to do it, but it was really hands on. It was hang you know giving her space to do her own thing, but I could see it was a different experience for her because. She just got my attention for that whole time. You know what I mean? Like, I was hers, and she needed that. There's a new baby in the house, right? So we were trying to make it sort of a special time for her so she didn't feel like it was all about the baby. Um, and I think that I can get that. You know what I mean? Like, it isn't just about making the quilt. It's about, like, special time with some grown-up you may or may not know um, that like that cares about you. So I think your program, your program is making me very, like, giving, I don't know. It's just, it sounds really great. It sounds like a great program. Um, I think- like you know you could just be sitting next to whoever was you know this this kid who was sewing on the sewing machine not doing anything just sitting there with them and they would be sewing along nice straight line really focused doing great job as you'd walk away and all of a sudden they would be all you know over the place their seams would be all over the place and it's just having that person there yeah Um, and they don't have that most of the time they don't have that I mean, this kid does, but I'm just saying that, like, the population that you're working with, just having a grown-up sit and be still with them is a gift, I imagine. Yes, and and this is, this is a very good facility, caring staff, but, you know, it, it, they don't get one-on-one, so. That's very uh, cool. I like it. Well, All right. It well, that's look- so very interesting. Um how so do you guys go when is, when you do these is it like once a week or how long are these sessions do they last yeah so we go once a week after school um for about an hour and a half depending on how everybody's feeling um you know the kids are tired and some some of them just are not having a good day and or they can't focus for the whole hour and a half so after an hour we say okay if you're done you're done that's fine yeah um, and we start off because many of them have never really seen this. They don't really understand like how this is all going to come together. Yeah. We start off the first week of just showing them how the rotary cutter works, showing them how the sewing machine works and letting Very them cool. just kind of 
play around with that yeah and how fabric will be sewn together yeah uh, and then the second week we actually go on a field trip to the fabric store and they get to choose all of their own fabric that must be so much fun and they really it's very interesting because you know as as i i know a lot of makers and quilters and you know you could just spend hours there right you know right. This and I don't know about that, and let's see. And these right. kids make for what they want. Yeah, I mean, their opportunity to to get the dog fabric, you know. And, right. It's so funny because we I took my little friend to to um we were we actually went to Joanne's and we went and got fabric and she was very focused. Like we had she had learned how to sew a little bit, and then I'm like, okay, well let's go get some more fabric. That's that's part of sewing. That's part of quilting. And, you know, she didn't want to be bothered by certain, like, she had a sense of, like, do your kids, like, there was no, like, they, they were, she was on a mission, and she was an artist, and she was looking for the materials she needed for her thing, and it was really interesting to watch that transformation of, like, she wasn't, like, just wandering around, she was like, I need, I need, I'm looking for specific things, you know, <laughs> it was really great at six, um, it was Yeah, great. kids, they don't have that extra, like, what if, you know, this yeah. is the right thing, like, right. you know, they want no and, fear right yeah. and, so, and then you know, we go back and then there's a, a certain number of weeks that we go back depending on you know how it's going and and we help them cut and we help them go and they end up making the top we've learned over the years that you know they they we can't um we can't spend really too much time we have to keep them moving because they need to see progress yeah um, we don't um we do very little seam ripping, you know, and, um, <laughs> that's very good. Um, and it looks like you do a really, do you do the same pattern with them? They all are doing kind of a blocks and borders kind of pattern. We've changed it over the years. The last, I think couple of years we've done pretty much the same one. Um, when we first started the very first session that we did was, um, we had 12 kids and only about five or six of us. That's a lot. And we, doing rail fences with, you know, a narrow border and then yeah. another border and it took forever to get finished. And it, um, it was just frustrating, I think for everybody. And yeah. so that now we have four or five kids at a time and we do, um, squares yeah. that they make into four patches and That's then great. they can rotate them and kind of, we show them how, you know, if you rotate them this way, they look like this. And if you yeah, rotate them great. this way, they look like that. Um, so they get to make choices about certain things. But but you give them some sort of parameters so they're not all over the place. Yeah. That's hard. So That's good. That's they, really can, good. they can see it growing. Yeah. <laughs> week instead of just not getting anywhere. They, yeah. So. I love it. This is very cool. All right, so I have a couple things more to talk to you about, but I do want to talk about fish and fish circus. What is it called? Fish and circus, yeah. Fish museum and circus. All right, so this is your artist side of you, and there, your stuff is really cool. So I just have to say, so incredibly cool. So you, I think that's how I, I don't know how I got to you, but you, are they pin cushions that you're making? Is this, is this like, tell us Sweet. what this is exactly. So they're mostly pin cushions. I also do yarn bowls um, for knitters and whoever else might be using yarn. Um, I do thread holders. I'm doing buttons now. Um, you know, just things for makers, things for people who make things. And they're ceramic and they're handmade and they're mm -hmm. incredibly adorable and very hard to get, right? They sell out very fast and you're yes. like a thing. These are like a thing, right? They're like people love this stuff. Apparently is that right? It's a thing. <laughs> right? Yes, it, it is a thing, I guess. It's, it's totally a thing. thing. You're such a thing. Yeah, so um, and it's, uh, if you're looking at it, it's, it's fishmuseumandcircus.com if you're listening and want to go take a look at the website. Um, and they're just so adorable. So how, how do you have time for all this? So how often do you make these? And like how do you – I, I subscribe to your mailing list, so I'm on there waiting for the next um, – the next batch, but how do you tell us a little bit about this and the process and how, where do you make them and how do you make them? They're so, so cute. It wasn't it. This is kind of I always say like I'm an accidental quilter, um, 
and I'm an accidental ceramicist. This is kind of um, was kind of an unexpected thing. I had I had finished. I, I wrote two books of sewing patterns: one of stuff to make for kids, and then one based on a lot of the quilts that I made for Bright Hopes. And then I was trying to kind of figure out what where I was going with all of these um, really sewing things. And um, it's a bit of a story, but I started taking yeah. ceramic classes. Um, I mean, you want the whole story? I don't know if you want yeah, the whole story. I like the, whole, I like the whole story, sure. So, um, you know, I had done certain ceramic things over the years and in undergraduate. And then, you know, also when I was at the Kohler factory, there was, that was all slip casting. Um, but my father was uh, going to take a ceramics class because he uh, was making furniture and out of wood he was a woodworker um but he had macular degeneration or he has macular degeneration and knew that he wouldn't be able to continue with all of the power tools at some point and he's a very careful planner like very um you know looking ahead and seeing what was going to happen and so he decided he wanted to take a ceramics class and i ended up taking it with him and so yeah i was having fun and making bowls or whatever it was for our house and but I said, you know, well, okay, so what, where, where am I going with this? What am I doing? And is this just, I'll make stuff for our house or could somehow I connect the two things, the yeah. sewing textile part and the ceramics. And so I started playing around with these pin cushions. Um, and that was like two and a half years ago. And I thought, well, I don't, I don't know what, you know, if anybody would really want these things. And you know, apparently people people want them. <laughs> They're so cute. They're so cute. Like, how could you not want one of them? They're so adorable. And your website is amazing. Like, I love your website. Did you did you create your website? Did you have it created? It's so cute. Um, and what's interesting is I'm getting a brand new website very very soon. You are. I am. Um, I needed to. I it needed an update. And what I'm doing is I'm putting the online shop in on my website. That is a trend now. People are going away from Etsy and they're doing their own online website. Why is that? Why is everyone moving away from Etsy? Um, I think there's a lot of different reasons and, you know, there's going to be a different answer, I think, depending on who you ask. But um, I think Etsy has changed a lot. Yeah. Um, And I know that some people feel like they have less control over what is going on. You're kind of really at the mercy of what Etsy decides to do with their platform. Yeah. And we saw that with Craftsy where they kicked all those people off um, when they had built stores, right? So that kind of freaked people out, I think. There's kind of – and I guess the technology's gotten to a point where having a shop on your website is just not a big deal anymore. So the technology grew up too. I mean, that's – part of it is that, you you know, you don't have control. I think some of it is – recognition when you ask somebody maybe where they got something if they're wearing a necklace or whatever it is they'll say i got it on etsy mm-hmm. and then they say what shop and they will have no idea yeah and right so they just they just think of it because the brand is etsy not your brand so that doesn't really help you to build is that what you're saying yeah that's really interesting um huh. and so you know i think etsy is, is still wonderful i don't have you know, it's, it's not like I have a very specific, like, this happened on Etsy, so that's why I'm leaving yeah, Etsy. right. It's really to have a kind of a little bit more control over um, and, and put everything together for me in, in one. Yeah. Site. And um, there are so many kind of plugins that I can use to be able to customize what I need for my business. Right. Now, will you go with something like Shopify or Square? Like, have you decided what platform you're going to use for the shop? Yeah, it's Shopify. Uh-huh. I mean, it's close to being done. That's it's, so cool. That's really it's cool. Um, I really wanted it done a few months ago, but I couldn't. Um, the My developer was, was ready, but I was extremely busy getting ready for QuiltCon. So yeah. I put off doing anything with that until till now. Yes, QuiltCon. The, the thing, I mean, QuiltCon was my first year at QuiltCon, and it was extraordinarily fun and not as exhausting as market and festival, I have to say, because it doesn't go on for 12 days. 
But still, man, so many people, so much going on. It was fun. But wow, that was just like a lot. It was a lot. It's a lot. It's just a lot. I don't know. I don't know if I'm built for this this whole adventure, I have to say. Um, It was a roller coaster. Yeah, right? Yes. You cannot see... Like, I don't, we've only been doing this for like, what, like a year and a half or so. You still can't see everybody you know there because there's not enough time to see everybody and to see everything. Right? Do you feel that way? Yeah. I mean, I didn't see you. You were in, you were in, um, <laughs> totally. Yeah. I did two lectures at a, and a, um, a workshop, um, yeah, on copyright. <laughs> Well, I, was, I was really stuck in my booth for four days. So. Yes, right. No, no, no. I totally get it. And we and I had people that were um, out and like I brought a team because we can't get to everything. You know, you think okay, this isn't too bad. You walk in, it doesn't look too big, right? It is not like gargantuan, but you still can't get to everything. You still can't get to every. I mean, and we were like working really hard to get to everything. It's kind of remarkable, yeah. but it was glorious. It was really fun. I I would go back. It was great. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> you were stuck in your booth. That's the other thing is we had a booth at, at festival and it, it you kind of create your own little prison. <laughs> so you can't leave your booth. So you can't go see other things because you have to stay in the booth, right? <laughs> yes. Although because I, I sold out pretty quickly of, yeah. of most, everything, uh-huh. um, on the last two days, I would just put a sign up in my booth Yeah. that's you know, I'm, I'm, pin cushions are sold out. This is what I've got left of my other. <laughs> I'm going out, you know, to see the quilts and to visit the vendors. And I put my cell phone number on there. I said, just text me. If I you like that. Anything. It's like gone fishing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't go too far. I mean, I'd still be in the thing. Right, right, it, right. says, you know, I want to buy, you know, this thing. And I said, be right there. And I'd run back and it was fine. That's really great. And did fine. you find that like, is that a good place for you, the QuiltCon, in terms of do you do other shows as well, or is QuiltCon your main show for the year? I do very few other things. I first, I lo- kind of launched the business at, even though I was I was started on Etsy a little bit before that in Savannah, I um, two years ago. The QuiltCon in Savannah for people listening, like, right? Yeah. So, let's see if if this is really going to be something, right? Um, and then I did, I, I'll do like kind of more locally type, um, things. I did Quilters Take Manhattan yeah. at one point. Yeah. I That's did, for Quilt Alliance, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I did, um, a little pop-up shop at, uh, Sotopia. Oh, I like Sotopia. Yeah. We've interviewed Amy a couple of times. Yeah, I like Amy Boston a lot. And, in Boston. Yeah. When they were in Boston. Very I did cool. that it's not too far from me um I did a Brooklyn quilters guild um, how and to get ready for this how long does it take I mean you're making these by hand so and making a lot of the stuff that you're doing so to get ready for one of these shows how long does it take to get ready for a show like that well for the smaller shows it, you know it's there's not just not as many people and it's um it's different but for Nashville um, it took me like five months of nonstop oh work and I didn't put anything up on online for sale. I had to kind of keep, you had all to keep it all there. And then so, like, economically, is it worth it to be at these shows and to have that kind of sale kind of like selling your merchandise in that space? Um, do I, let's see, do I make more money than there than I would have made online? I, I don't really I don't really think so just because I do sell out online also. Yeah. Um, but, and people do ask me like, well, if you sell so well online, why do you right. do this? And there's a couple of reasons. One of them is because then there's new people. I mean, there are people at, in yeah, Nashville. Right, right. You could, it's, it's, it's you making you aware. Right. Right. You got to yeah. grow the audience so that they know that they're there. Right. Um, I also, you know, it's, it's a different experience when I'm selling online. I, make stuff I have to photograph them I have to you know do right. list them I have to do all of that stuff um but I don't really get to see them so much in an environment yeah. where in when I do a show I kind of it's like a little set it's a stage set of for cool. them yeah it's, kind of, it's another way of 
of kind of trying right. something. It's your circus is on. You, you're taking your circus out in a quite lovely way. On the road. Um, on the road, which I imagine is also difficult because you don't want them breaking. That's got to be a lot to get them wherever you're going. Yeah, it's, you know, bubble wrap. Is... Bubble wrap. <laughs> bubble wrap <laughs> is your friend. <laughs> um, but the, the real, the main reason I think, or the most important reason for me is, um, especially at QuiltCon, um, people are so fantastic. Yeah. It's such an amazing. It is amazing group. Community, an amazing yeah. group. Um, you know, when I, at Savannah, when I was just kind of didn't know what was going to happen and I ended up selling out at Savannah, people would come by, people I'd never met before and say, I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Like, how ge- how incredibly generous. You know, I think I even heard about you selling out. Like, it's a thing. Like, they're like, she already sold out. <laughs> like, it was like, I was really interesting. Like, they are super supportive and so interested. And now let me ask you about, um, I have two more things. We're going to run out of time. We have seven minutes before my law students show up. Um, um Intellectual property, do you have any worries? Do you have any issues? Anything arise? These are individual things. I imagine you're not registering with the copyright office, but they're made by hand. Do you feel territorial about it? Like, any thoughts about intellectual property? Um, I guess maybe I should. <laughs> no, you don't have to. You're selling out. It's all good. Like, <laughs> you know. No, I was so proud of myself that I actually figured out how to pay my sales tax this morning. Good job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you you know, um, I, I can't, I, I should say I can't worry about it because it would, um, now your I, brand I, is the fish circus and fish. I never get it. Fish museum. And no, tell me what yeah, it is again. Yeah. It's fish museum. And circus. Yeah. And circus. Now, any thoughts about trademarking it or protecting it in any way? I'm looking it um, up. No. No, I – it's real. it's so foreign to me. I mean, all of these things. Yeah, um, that's what – okay, I, so you're – I'm a maker. I, I just – I got to just make stuff because if – and deal with the stuff that I have to deal with, like the taxes or whatever – kinds of things like that um, anyway all right let me turn off the recording my students are late it's good all right so um after we, we we turned off the recording we talked about a bunch of stuff like trademark and uh other things um and it was super fun so thanks again um deborah for coming to um, talk with us and i can't wait to talk more so you've been listening to Just Want a Quilt, a research podcast coming out of Tulane University Law School. And I'm Elizabeth Townsend Gard. If you like this podcast, keep listening. Also, we have a Facebook group. Come join us. We talk about a lot of things. We also have an Instagram account. And of course, most importantly, I really hope you get a chance to quilt today.